My name is Jerry and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm your moderator for this meeting. <laughs> it's okay. In OA we learn we can ask questions, right? Okay. After a moment of silence, would you please join me in the serenity prayer? Before we start, is there someone willing to dial zero and say, is it possible to bring some more chairs to this room? There's a phone right there. Thank you. Before we start, we ask that all cell phones or electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photographs or visual recordings are allowed. The <coughs> You'd think I was a speaker, I'm so nervous. <laughs> the opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or OA as a whole. An ASCIT basket will be passed around for any questions you have and they'll be answered after the meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by and pick up the tape if you like it. And they'll also be available for electronic download. The format of this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is Thank you. Daily maintenance steps 10, 11, and 12. And our first speaker will be Our, our first speaker will be Greg and He's a friend of mine, as is everybody in this room. <laughs> I'm Greg, a compulsive eater. <sighs> well, thank you, everybody, for coming. This is great. Um, when I saw daily maintenance, right away I was kind of shook up by that a little bit because the word maintenance kind of scares me. And um, I was thinking about that, and people talk about being on maintenance and in the compulsive eating, and that that to me personally makes me feel think about a diet, you know. So I was thinking about the word maintenance, and I was looking at page 85, and it says the only maintenance that we need to keep up is the maintenance of the spiritual condition. So I think it's important to keep in mind that's really what we need to maintain, you know, because abstinence is is a beginning, but. Uh, Maintaining that spiritual condition is, is the goal uh, for me today, and I learned that here in these rooms. Um, my name is Greg, and, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I was 307 pounds when I came in here on March 17, uh, 2008, and I've maintained 130-pound weight loss for a year and a half uh, through Overs of Anonymous, and <laughs> specifically with OA90 and uh, Worked in the big book with a sponsor, with a recovered sponsor. So, you know, that, that has uh, kept me abstinent, and the abstinence is, is fantastic. However, there's much more work to be done. And for me, you know, I was looking at the 10th step, and for me, I was in AA for 25 years when I came into this program. So I had a, you know, I had a head full of program and a belly full of food, and uh, I was nowhere. I really was nowhere. Um, I was uh, angry. I was uh, resentful. I tried to dominate people, and guess what? Invariably, they got hurt. And the more I tried to dominate people in my job, um, 
with his head full of program and belly full of food, uh, the less they cooperated. And then they retaliated. And uh, eventually I was fired from that job while I was abstinent. Uh, and that was a good thing. Best thing that ever happened to me. Because um, self-will and riot doesn't work. And even though I don't knew self-will and riot doesn't work in my uh, recovery from the other program, um, you know, I was still behaving the same way. So, you know, take the substance out of the alcoholic or the addict, they're still going to behave in the, in the same way as without the tools. So, you know, the 10th step says, you know, continue to take personal inventory. So it implies that you need to take a fourth step and a fifth step first. So, um, you know, I've taken many, many fourth and fifth steps uh, in the past. And, but this daily 10th step really rang true for me coming into Overeaters Anonymous because um, I really started getting into um, you know, page 82 through 88 and what's contained there and really, you know, studying that in detail. So, for me, the last paragraph on page 82 is great because it talks about the alcoholic of a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We can't manage on thinking when he says sobriety is enough. So we've got to do more than be abstinent. We've got to do stuff. And that's why the chapter is called Into Action. There's a bunch of stuff to do. You know, um, you know, I could walk around with my 130-pound weight loss and, uh, you know, just talk about, you know, the food that I eat or don't eat and, uh, and you know, all my sponsees and all that kind of stuff and you work a two-step program. And, and that's the result is going to be nil on that. And I need to change who I am and, and the way I behave. Um, and, and that really starts at home. You know, number one place where I have problems in my life today and uh, this is being recorded, so I can prove my truth to my wife that I actually said that. So that <laughs> the, the hardest place to work this program is at home for me, hands down, because that's where I get my triggers. My kids, you know, they you know my kid's 14, and I'm 14. You know, I mean, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. You're a dodo head. No, you're a dodo head. You know. <laughs> And isn't it, isn't it interesting how much I try to control their food, you know? How, isn't it interesting that when they're eating all this food that I can't eat, I get a resentment? Hmm. Somebody here has got a problem, and it's not them. So you've got to do stuff. And, and that's what the 10 Steps have been beautiful about. I have a sponsor who gave me a, a write-up, and we, we created a list of questions from, uh, you know, page 86. When it goes into step 11, and we create a list of questions. We create 13 or 14 questions, and I forget. We argued about whether it's 13 or 14 questions. Isn't that just like a compulsive eater that <laughs> argue with their sponsor? No, there's 14 questions. No, it's 13. Um, but I'd, I'd look at those questions. I'd examine them. I'd write on those each day. And, you know, I would do exactly what it says on page 86. And, and you know, uh, we all know that when we retire at night, we review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? I'm not perfect about this, but I certainly catch things in the day a lot more than I did before. And thank, you know, all I can say is, you know, for me, higher power is God. Thank God for recovery. Because these are tools that I never would have the opportunity to work. If I was a normal leader, I wouldn't have this opportunity. You know, yeah, I've had setbacks. You know, I've had setbacks in the program from the standpoint of emotional setbacks from, you know, job loss and, and things like that. Yeah, but, you know, th those are all opportunities because we've got a spiritual toolkit that we can use at any time. And the normal person doesn't necessarily have that. And, and I look at it as a gift. So this affliction, this thing in my life that's the most humiliating thing uh, in my life, that I was 307 pounds and I hated myself and I hated everybody else around me, can actually be used for good to help other people. And, and I love recovery and I love helping other recovering people. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's part of my life. And it causes a lot of problems at home. It causes a lot of problems at home. Because uh, are you going to another meeting? 
you know, and are you taking another outreach call? Just just one more call. This, this guy really needs to talk to me or, you know, whatever. Oh, this is my sponsor and I really need to talk to him. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it causes friction at home, but but that's, that's okay, you know, because, you know, ultimately my wife understands that it makes me a better Greg. And my kids understand it makes me a better dad. Um, my uh, my mom died last week, and uh, it was it was kind of sudden. And but she she died knowing I was absent. She she we joked about it. Um, you know I talked about this before, so if you've heard this before, you know um, last uh, week ago Sunday was her last day alive, and. Uh, um, a bunch of people in my family wanted to go out to eat, and I, you know, I typically don't necessarily go out to eat all the time because I like to, con- you know, have some kind of, um, you know, food intake that I can have some control over. And I hate to use the word control, but I like to have my own food, you know, so because <laughs> control is bad. I like my food, all right. <laughs> Your vegetables are okay, but I like my vegetables. I'm an addict, okay, um, and. So they all went out, and I was at home alone with Mom, and I'm holding her hand. And uh, I said, I said, you know, Mom, um, um, you know, you know what I'm having for lunch, right? And she barely could talk, and, and she just said, rice cakes. <laughs> I said, yeah, Mom, rice cakes. So she knew, she knew, and she joked about it. You know, it's one of the last. And a sense of humor that she ever had. So, um, you know, and, and being present in the precious present was something that I didn't have the opportunity to do when I was in the disease. And, you know, being able to feel pain is a gift. It's good to hurt. I mean, I don't like hurting. And I'm addicted to feeling good. You know, I want to feel good all the time, 24-7, and it certainly has put me in some really bad places because I'm just chasing the next high. But... Um, but a gift to, to feel pain and to walk through it and to be human and uh, to catch ourselves being human, you know. Um, so, so yeah, that 10th step is important. And the 10th step for me, this list of questions on 86 through 88, uh, when it talks about, you know, actually the 11th step there, um, is a great is a great review for me. Yeah. And uh, invariably... I'm, I'm able to catch stuff in the day and in the moment. And I don't have to go back and do a fourth and fifth step if I really work a good tenth step because I'm able to catch things in the day and not build up this arsenal of resentments and fears and anger. Um, and there are benefits. There are really good benefits, too, to, to working these steps. And, and one of them is something that happened to me a while ago. I was at a party, an abstinent party. Thank you. Um, and at this party was my sponsor, my therapist, and my wife. And all three of them were, t- were sitting next to each other. <laughs> Freedom is knowing that there's nothing that my therapist can say to my wife that, that she doesn't know. Nothing. And there's nothing that my sponsor could have said to my wife or to my therapist that, that he didn't know. You know, I'd come clean with all that. You know, uh, the outlaws and the in-laws of my past and all that kind of stuff. So that, to me, is freedom. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's freeing to be free to the food. That's really great. But to live a life where you can look people in the eye and be who you are at work or at church or at family. And I'm a, I'm a recovering person. They know that. Anybody that knows me knows that I weigh and measure my food. Anybody that knows me knows that this is what I do. It's part of my life. If you don't like it, it's okay. It's your privilege. You eat the way you want. It's none of my business. You know, but this is what I do, and this is who I am. And recovery is what I am, you know, and, and I love recovery. So, you know, I love, I love the hidden promises at the end here on page 84 and 85. And that's, you know, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. Even alcohol or food in our case. You know, we will seldom be interested. And so that's a gift because, you know, even early in abstinence, I, I have to admit that I came into Overeaters Anonymous 
to, to be on the diet plan. I had no intention of, of sticking around. You know, I was going to get to this certain weight so then I can do whatever I want and eat whatever I want. And uh, I don't think I, you know, my, my disease is too tricky for me to overtly have said that. But when I look back now, it's like, yeah, I was, I was, you know, into the weight loss and all that kind of stuff. And, but you don't get to these, these hidden promises unless you do the other inside work. And I needed to do that inside work to get to that point where I recoil from it as a hot flame, you know. And I'm not fighting it. I'm not fighting other people, you know, or avoiding temptation. I'm able to walk through these situations in life much easier now. Um, You know, I'm not cocky and I'm not afraid, you know. But it, it requires that maintenance of a spiritual condition in order to get to that state. Um, and it's a daily reprieve, so i got to start over every day and be a daily beginner and start over again and get on my knees because, you know what, these steps aren't something. I don't get a diploma. You know, people that earn diplomas in this program don't end up in good place. I've never seen anybody come back from a vacation and over his anonymous that was happy, you know. <laughs> I've never seen people coming back from a vacation saying, man, I'm tan, I'm rested, I feel great. It's not coming off a cruise, you know. It's usually people coming back that are in a lot of pain. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. So i got to work hard every single day like it's my first day. And actually harder because I don't want to get cocky or rest on my laurels. So that's, that's you know, where I'm coming from. But the 11th step, so that's the 10th step. And, you know, for the 11th step, you know, there are... There are lots of great suggestions, you know, in page 86 and, and 87, you know. And I have to focus. Like, the other thing I thought about was spiritual growth. You know, I've got to focus on other people's spiritual growth rather than my own. That's the difference. Because when I thought of spiritual growth, it was my spiritual growth, my program, my this and my that. And it says on page 63 that more and more we're going to be concerned with other people. That's the opposite of self-will. I actually care about you all. I care about your recovery. I care about your nurturing your spiritual condition through the program recovery. And that is a gift because I'm able to be freed for those moments that I listen to you on outreach call instead of going on about all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm free of the bondage of self. And it's a bondage. It's bondage. To be in my own head all the time is bondage. But to come to a meeting and relax and listen to somebody else and just turn off Greg's head, that's a gift. It is a gift. Um, so, you know, and the 12th step is, you know, by far my favorite step. I love the 12th step. I spend a lot of hours on the phone every day. In addition to the phone meeting, the coffee shop, and other phone meetings that I go to, um, you know, I probably talk to 10 or 15 or 20 recovering people on the phone every single day, you know, and and my sponsor requires, you know, X number of phone calls a day, and I always do more because I'm in a type A personality, and so if he says do five, I'm going to do 10, you know, uh, but not because my sponsor is asking me to do this. It's because I love it. I love it, and invariably, uh, when I isolate, which is often, because I'm, you know, we're all isolators, I think. I can sort of categorically say that based on my experience of 25 years in recovery rooms and seeing the way people operate. We are isolators. You know, even if we're in a room of people, we can isolate in our heads. Um, invariably, when I isolate and I'm not calling anybody, I'll get 10 calls that day. Invariably, you know. And I love it. I love it. It's higher power saying, okay, enough of this. You know, get out of yourself. And, uh, but I, I need to, to share my, I have to identify with other people in recovery. I have to identify with, with folks in the room and, you know, claim my seat because, you know, um, in my isolated state, pretty soon I'm going to figure out how different I am than the rest of you. And I said this yesterday, but the more that I come around the room, the more similarities I see. You know, we all come from different ethnic backgrounds, different orientations, whatever, all that stuff. But the more I come into these rooms, the more I see we're all the same. We're all identified. We all belong here. And I, I, I toss aside the differences. 
I tossed aside the different parts of Overeaters Anonymous we belong to, and I'm in this focus group, and they're in that focus group. I toss that stuff aside, and I just have to focus on the similarities. That we're all part of Overeaters Anonymous. We're all part of the same club and the same group. We're all bozos on the bus. There's no VIPs, and thank God for that. You know, what a beautiful program. What beautiful traditions that we have, because when I was in control and that job that I was telling you about, it was not a good thing. Bad place for me to be is in charge. Really bad place. <laughs> so, um, you know, there is one who has all power, and it ain't Greg. And it's got to be, you know, like my friend says, it's got to be greater than me. And uh, it certainly is. The fellowship is is greater than me. And thank God for that, because in in when I try to take control of things, or when I try to take control of my family even, you know, bad things happen. But God has a great sense of humor, you know. He'll he'll cause things to happen that uh, quickly show me the right way to do things. So I love recovery, and uh, I guess I'll pass with that. Thanks. And our next speaker is Ray Lee. I'm a bulimic compulsive overeater. We have some $50 seats down here in front if somebody wants to come. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story just to qualify in the beginning, and then I'm going to tell you how I do step 10, how I do step 11, and how I do step 12. Um, And how I do it isn't right. It's just how I do it. Um, And that's what I'm going to share with you. Um, So I was a raging bulimic. Um, from the time I was 16 years old until I was 28 years old. Um, by raging bulimic, I mean um, that I was a three to five time a day binge vomiter for 12 years um, and was pretty consumed in it. A really important part of my story is that my whole life and my whole disease um, happened in secret. For the first eight years of my 12 years of being bulimic, no one in my life knew. It was completely a secret to everybody um, and uh, you can just take a wild guess about the shame that that created in my life. Um, somewhere along the way, I found OA, and um, I found recovery in the rooms of OA. And um, I, I don't have a miracle recovery story. I was in the rooms of OA for five years before I had any material physical recovery. Um, and I would keep coming back, and I would keep coming back. And I know now um, that I was um, pretty seriously in a bad place in my disease and that I needed a lot of spiritual foundation to be built in my life before I could be ready for physical recovery because many of you probably know that if I'd gotten physical recovery, I'd have been out of here. Um, and um, so I, I was in these rooms for five years before I got any material recovery. Um, as a child growing up, I was the perfect child. I, was, I deal with perfectionist issues. I was the trophy child in my family. My family was okay because they said, well, look at all the marvelous things that Ravie does. She's a 4.0 student, and she goes to Stanford, and she did all these marvelous things. And, and, she, and I was a doer, and I did all these things, and my family got status from them, and I got um, okayness from doing all of those things. And, and I internalized really early that that was what I needed to do in life, is I needed to jump through all the hoops in order to be perfect so I would be okay. Um, I stand here before you and tell you that OA completely unequivocally saved my life. I absolutely believe that I would not be alive today had I not walked into these rooms and felt the love and found the recovery um, in this program. Um, I have been absent one day at a time since December 1989. And in my wallet, I keep my 20-year chip and my one-day-at-a-time chip. And I always have them with me in my wallet, and I always keep them together because without this one, this one never would have happened. Um, so that's a little bit about my story. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I do Step 10. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm sure you all know it, but I'm going to read it to you and then read you a little excerpt from um, the big book about what the big book says about Step 10. Um, Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. 
We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. We continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. We turn resolutely, or excuse me, we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. That's from the big book, page 84. Um, when I first did step four and started working the steps, um, as everyone does, um, you know, you kind of got all that collection of crap from the past that you need to clean up. And then as I started down the road of recovery, then I would kind of like stop and do an inventory every month or so and kind of clean it up. And then I kind of got to the place where I was able to look at it at the end of a week and then look at it at the end of the day. And for me, step 10 is about looking at it in the moment. It's about not letting time pass when I have um, been someone that I'm not proud of or done something that I'm not proud of because if I just carry it with me, it's just a bad place for me to go. That's My disease says, oh, it's fine, let it go, really. Um, but my recovery path says, no, clean it up. Make amends, make it right. Admit that you're not perfect. Um, be whole and or be real with people about who you are and the mistakes that you've made. So for me, step 10 is really about... Um, um, doing it in the moment. And I'm not perfect about that. Sometimes I get to the end of the day and say, oh, oops, I sort of missed that one. Um, but for me, that's about attending to it immediately and going to someone and, um, and verbally making amends for what I have done that I'm not proud of and also making a commitment to behave differently in the future. Um, for me, in addition to trying to do things kind of on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, I, I use the candid camera test at the end of it each day. And that is that if I were told at the end of any given day that that little segment would be on candid camera on the 10 o'clock news, if my reaction is, oh, no, not that part, let's just edit it out. If I get to the end of the day and want to edit out something of my film for the day, then I have a problem. I need to, I need to work my recovery, and I need to fix that problem. And I recognize that my own mental compass of, of recognizing that if somebody really knew, you know, what my thoughts were or what my behavior was, that if I'm going to be embarrassed by that or I'd be ashamed of that, then that's a really big sentinel for me to say, okay, got to clean that one up. So in addition to kind of doing it um, literally as I go, I will always do a candid camera test at the end of each day. Um, and what I tell myself throughout the day is be aware and repair. Be aware and repair. Because if I'm not aware, I'll miss the fact that I may not have been who I wanted to be. Um, and if I don't repair, then that's a slippery slope away from my recovery. And the other part of be aware and repair is celebrate. Because otherwise, if all I say is the mantra, be aware and repair, it's like I'm on a witch hunt for what I did wrong. And in and, and my recovery, is um, I've learned to try to be gentle with myself and realize that um, I want to celebrate when I do it right. I want to celebrate what 20 years of, 25 years in these rooms and 20 years worth of recovery has brought me, and that is the ability to celebrate that I can get through an interaction and say, yeah, put that one on the 10 o'clock news. I, I like, I'm proud of that interaction. I cared for someone. I listened for someone. I didn't gripe. I looked, I, I, I stopped and showed compassion on someone. I behaved in a way that I'm proud of. And that's part of my tenth step is not just the witch hunt for what I've done wrong. The, 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 the aware and repair is an important and critical part of it for me. But the celebration of, of, of what, how the, these rooms and the path of recovery have allowed me to do things right is also important for me, to not, not always just be looking for what I do wrong, although that's important as well. So both sides of the coins is important in my personal tenth step. So for, um, for me today, uh, really, there are two things that I'm working on in my 10th step process, and one of them is being a better listener. Um, and the second one is working on my own boundaries, because that's the area of my own growth that I need to continue to work on. So for listening, my plumb line is when I'm listening to you, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say after you stop talking. Because um, that's a problem that's really easy for me to have because I'm a quick thinker and I'm always kind of thinking ahead and it's an important skill in life as you work to think ahead and plan. And, but the fact of the matter is 
Um, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond or I'm thinking about something else, then that's something that is not conducive to my recovery because it doesn't create a connection between you and me. It doesn't create a connection um, in the world in a positive way. So that's just an example of something that I'm personally working on where I get to the end of, a rea- of an interaction and say, I have to coerce myself to say, you know, I need to apologize. I really wasn't clearly listening. Can, can you share that with me again? And you know what? That's damn embarrassing <laughs> to have to pretend like I was listening and then to admit that I really wasn't listening as attentively as I really want to. But for me, that's the only way through it. That's the only way to make me be the attentive, careful, caring listener that I want to be um, in, in this world. Um, and then the other issue that I'm working on is my boundaries, and that is um, to allow myself to have them. Um, and that when I um, have boundaries, to celebrate them and to, to share them with people who are sharing my recovery with me. And then also, when I don't have boundaries, to be able to admit that and to go back and say, you know, um, that was something that didn't work for me. I need to try it again. So being able to replace things um, and, and recognize that even when I do something wrong, I can rewind and fess up and then redo the way I would want it to be. Um, that's a gift that my um, pat recovery path has given me. So that's how I, a little bit about how I do step 10 on a daily basis. Step 11. I'm not so stellar at step 11. And Jerry asked me to talk about 10, 11, and 12. I thought, oh, maybe 10 and 12. That'll do. <laughs> um, but let me share with you a little bit about how I do step 11. Um, I'm not very good at prayer, and I'm even worse at meditation. Um, but I do uh, recognize that this program tells us to pray and meditate. And, and so I need to figure out how to do it. Because I trust that I would only be here. I just have to trust the program. And so I have had to figure it out. And I don't have any great pearls of wisdom, but I'll share with you a few little things that I've been able to figure out to help me in the prayer and meditation department to be able to kind of have a, con- a connection with um, my higher power, whom I choose to call God. Um, the first thing is to remember for me that prayer is a discipline. It's an action. It's something I do. Um, one of the biggest sabotages for myself in the prayer and meditation department is to feel like that I have to kind of quiet my mind and I have to get in a good space and I have to calm down and I have to, everything has to be kind of like quiet and perfect because I am not somebody who gets very quiet and gets very calm very easily. And so when I'm, in, when I'm naturally myself, I feel like, okay, well, that's mutually exclusive from any kind of prayer or meditation because I can't do that. So part of what I've recognized is to give myself the gift that I just don't have to be calm and, and, and ohm all the time in order to feel like I can engage in prayer. It, it's an action for me. And for me, it's a discipline. It's a decision that I'm going to find a way to connect with my higher power, even if it's not this classic way where you sit quietly and have this wonderful connection with God. Because I'm a busy body person, and, and I find it hard. So that's just my honest reality, that I just have to remind myself just do it. It's kind of the Nike way of prayer. Just do it. Don't try to be perfect about it. Just go for it. Um, so there's a couple of techniques that I use um, in prayer. And one of them I learned when I was in a, a hospital recovery program um, for, for my bulimia um, a long time ago. And that was to use breathing as a technique for prayer. And we had this exercise that I just resented the heck out of in the moment. I was like, um, But she said um, to make a mantra for your prayer, your prayer, and you breathe, what do you, what do you want to breathe in, and then what do you want to breathe out? So my mantra is, I breathe in love, faith, and peace, and I breathe out anger, resentment, and control of others. And I breathe in love, faith, and peace, and I breathe out anger, resentment, and control of others. And when I'm in a place where I feel like, okay, this is not working, I need a connection with my God. Um, that's the, one of the first places that I'll go. And, and, and everybody has their own mantra. And I recognize now that the mantra that I would create for myself right now wouldn't probably be that one. But I've kept that one over the last 21 years um, because it was, it was important to me and that was the mantra that I created at a really important turning point in my recovery. And so using breathing and using that mantra, um, and I'm not very creative about it, 
it's been the same damn mantra for 20 years. It's because I still need to work on getting it. Um, but, but it works for me, and it brings me back to a place of centering and a place of what I want in my life and what I want out of my life. So that's a technique that I use um, to have a conscious, um, conscious contact with my God is through that type of prayer. The other thing that I do um, is I, um, I love nature, and being out in nature is just simply a way for me to connect with my higher power and so I will go and be in nature. And I don't have to, like, go up on some big hike. If I'm walking to my car and I see a flower, I want to stop and notice that flower. And that's a connection with God for me. And it, and it calms me to recognize that. So I try to use nature as a way of prayer and connection. And there's two things that I use inside my house that are important. And that is I use music and I use candles. Because those are two things that slow me down. And I'm somebody that's kind of, oh, I'm going to get on to the next thing, you know, I'm a doer. Uh, that was what I was told to do as a child. And, and so when I, when I come home, if I, if I just need to just, just stop, I will consciously put on music that is soothing to me, and I will always light a candle. Because it's the light of, it, it's the, the light of the candle that reminds me that, you know, there's God out there. And, um, and it and allows me to have a connection. So I will usually have music playing, and I will usually have candles burning, and those are connections for me. Whenever I hear the music, I stop for a moment. Whenever I see the candle, I stop for a moment. And those aren't miracle ways of prayer, um, but they're ways that have helped me feel like I have a connection with my God. And then the last and the weirdest thing that I do where I pray is um, I, I am an athlete, and I swim. And um, I, I haven't always swim, 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 whatever. <laughs> but I, um, it always irritated me when I forgot how far I swam, like how, how many like laps I had done. And I finally figured out that if I did, thank you, if I did, um, if I prayed when I swim. So I pray by hundreds. So when I swim, the first hundred I pray for me. The second hundred I pray for my husband. The third hundred is my oldest son. The fourth hundred is my daughter. Um, the fifth hundred is my, my youngest daughter. The sixth hundred is always for my day. The seventh hundred is for the week that's coming. The eighth hundred is for the people that in my life that I pray for that are struggling with bulimia, you know, like the, the actual people. Um, the ninth hundred is for the people that I know at my work environment that need prayer. The tenth hundred is for my family. The eleventh is for my pastor and his wife. The twelfth hundred is for my own recovery from my eating disorder. And why twelve? It's because I celebrate that I don't have to eat dozen donuts, or donuts by the dozen, so twelve is that number. Um, Thirteen is for my marriage and my husband because we were married on the thirteenth. And so they all kind of have numbers. And that allows me to focus in just, and there are a lot fewer distractions in the pool than there are in life. It's just, there's just like water in a black line, that's all. And so I don't get distracted. And so I, I find that when I swim, I really can get a connection. And it's a time when I can actually really spend an hour. And it's the only time in my whole life, my only place in my life, where I can actually spend an hour. And, and it just passes because I've spent it in prayer. So as I say, I'm not very accomplished at prayer. And those are some weird, odd techniques that I've used um, to, to enhance, to find a way to connect with my God because I'm just not very good at it in the kind of the I'll be all calm and pray kind of way. So I've had to find different ways, and those are some of the ways that I've done it. So the, um, the, the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, a really big theme in my um, uh, disease and recovery has been secrecy and secrets and kind of being like um, you know, trying to be perfect um, and not let anybody know that I'm human or real. Um, so my, my, my path of, um, of, of connecting with other people is one that blows all secrets out the door and that my goal in the 12th step is to be an authentic person and to be real and that perfect is not impressive to you at all. Um, it's really about being real and being authentic. And um, for me, the way I practice the 12th step is really related to the first step for me, and that is my personal variety of anonymity is that I don't get any. I used it all up in those first eight years. I used all the secrets. I used all of the secrecy. I used all of the private stuff up. And so I'm very, very open, and it's important to me because bulimia, um, overeating in general is the disease of shame and isolation and secrecy. But bulimia is, especially the way I practice it, even more so because I don't wear it on the outside that I have a food problem. Or I got a food problem just as much as everybody else in this room. 
Um, and, and so I'm very, very open about it. I talk to uh, almost everybody in my company knows that I am a recovering bulimic and that I go to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, many of my clients, and I have a pretty high-profile job, I am completely open. If I hear about someone, you know, I, I, the CEO of a company whose daughter's struggling, I'm like, I'm there. I'll, I'm happy to talk to her. Just let me know. Um, I'm happy to, to, to listen. Um, and, and that's been a really important part of how I practice both step one and step 12 and how they're related is that I don't get any secrets. And despite the fact that I don't, and I don't per, um, um, preach this for other people, but if you run into me in the grocery store, you are welcome to say, oh, hi, Rayleigh, you know, or, or that, that's Rayleigh, I met her at OA, or oh, she's bulimic. That's okay. It has to be okay. Or I'm not doing step 12, and for me, I'm not doing step one the way I need to. And it's not right for everyone, but it is my version and my way of being open and out there. So it's particularly important for me because I, um, by the world standards, thank you, by the world standards, I'm a pretty accomplished person. I run a business, and I, um, um, you know, have testified in front of Congress and done all sorts of really amazing things. And, and, and I think it's important for a person who lives a high-profile life like I do to be authentic and real. It's really, really easy for me to hide behind everybody saying, ooh, isn't she perfect? Because that's who I want you to think. That's who I want, that's who I want the world to think that I am. And the fact of the matter is, I know I'm not that way. And it's just a path to hell to pretend that that's who I am. I really need to be authentic and say, yeah, I have, I have food problems. And I say, you know, that to, well, for all of the accomplishments, that I have achieved in the world. Um, you are my people. You are, the, this is a place where I feel home. This is, the, the, I can feel like I can talk to any one of you. I can listen to you and have that connection and be real. And that, for me, is what steps 10, 11, and 12 are all about. Okay, this one's specifically to me. Interesting. Um, it says, uh, Greg, what are the, some of the ways you are making living amends to your wife and children? That's a good one. Nothing like accountability of your uh, peers. <laughs> and a recording, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess that, you know, I... I with my sons, it's kind of hard. My son, I'm a stepdad. I have two two sons that are 14. They're twins, and they're, they're autistic. So they're chal- it's a challenge, you know. And, and they behave like me, and they are me. So oftentimes, you know, they'll uh, use language that's very similar to their parents' language. It's funny how that works, but um, I don't know where they get that, those words from. But um, you know, and and you know, get into the wars with them and such, and. And I had to say to my kids, you know, that wasn't okay for me to do that. You know, you know, son, that wasn't okay for me to do that. I'm, I'm the adult, and you know, that's, it's not. It was, I was wrong to do that. It's my sponsor taught me. You don't say, you know, I'm sorry, because it says, you know, a, a sorry mumbling, uh, a remorseful, you know, mumbling doesn't really fit the bill. So I was wrong to do that, and. If I keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, then then that's not living a man. So I guess what I try to do is catch myself, hold myself accountable, and talk about it with uh, people in the program as well as with my family and say, you know, that wasn't okay for me to get, get angry or, or fly off the handle here or, or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, that, those are the areas really with my, my kids. And that's the hardest hardest part. You know, the male, male child, male stepdad, that kind of stuff. I've got a five-month-old baby. She's pretty easy to deal with right now. <laughs> Nothing but goodness coming out of her and, and me, you know, when we're together. But, 
you know, uh, time will tell, you know, time will tell. With my wife, it's, it's, it's been amazing, really. With my wife, it's been amazing. Um, she's an amazing woman and has taught me so much. I was, a uh, little bit about my, back, my background, real quick, I was uh, 40, what was I, 43 or 44 years old when I got married. Um, so I was a single guy all my life, and I was isolated and alone, and I, you know, lived, you know, I'd go to the hotel room with the food and do my consulting job and be on the road and all that kind of stuff, and I was just, you know, happy to be in that space and not around other people. And she married me when I was, you know, at my highest weight and loved me for that. Um, so coming to the program and spending a whole bunch of time with a bunch of recovering people wasn't something she had bargained for. <laughs> and... Uh, so what I try to do is to be present, number one, because so often it's about my agenda, as, as addicts do. You know, it's all about me. Well, it's not all about me. It's about me being there for her. So what I do is I listen. I stop the insanity in my head and sit down and just listen, even though I don't want to, even though I want to continue on with my stuff. I stop and listen, and I just am there and I listen and uh, being present. But we do go to another program together, and it's been a real life changer because um, I noticed that uh, she started going to the other program, and all of a sudden I became a better person. And I started going to the other program, and then uh, she became a better person. <laughs> and so it's really, really cool to be able to go to a meeting with my wife and and you know hear her sponsor speak. You know that's pretty amazing, and I never would have dreamed. You know it's beyond my wildest dreams to have that. So. How I make living amends is to just not to do the same things over and over again and also be accountable and say I'm wrong when I'm wrong. Now, as close to the, as close to the time that it happens as possible. And oh by the way, somebody said something before that I thought was really appropriate. I'm, you know, just a bozo on the bus. I'm an addict and you know, and I'm a, a compulsive eater and I'm no expert at these steps and just experience my experience, strength and hope, so you know, I don't want to come off like, you know, anything like that because I'm just learning every day like the rest of you. I'll answer this one, too, because um, I'm, I'm doing something specific about um, trying to behave differently with specifically with my children. Um, and that is, um, for me, I try to think about what does it mean for me to enter their world? Um, and that's not necessarily easy for someone that moves as quickly as I do in life and it causes um, and I have a lot of pressures and it causes me to stop and say okay well how what does it mean for me to enter their life and so just as Greg said it's not all about me it's not about my agenda for them it's about it's about um, me entering their agenda for themselves and um, um, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of, and, and there's lots of, my parents are very proud of many things that I've done, but I can share with you that one of the things I am most proud of is I can hold my own at Guitar Hero. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that's what my 13-year-old loves. And she's pretty darn good at it. And, she, and, and we can do that together because I can step into her world. And that is something that I would have never been able to do or admit to you that I do um, without this program. It's just like it doesn't have to be meaningful in the world. It just has to be a connection with somebody. And that's what I, part of what I'm learning is to think about how can I step into their world as a way to make amends for the time in their life when I wasn't really able to and didn't know how, or more importantly, didn't really value it. That's one of the things I'm trying to do. question is, what does spiritual mean? What does spiritual look like? To me, it looks like everything, everywhere, at all times. God is everywhere, everything, and everybody. And, uh, you know, the, the time that I need to see God is like the guy that fired me. I need to see God in his life. I need to look at the person I'm going to have resentment with and pray for him for 30 days, like it says in, in the big book, you know. And I need to think about the fact that this guy has children. I, I pray that his children go to Harvard 
and I pray that he has a Maserati, and I pray that, uh, you know, he's successful in his business, sincerely, because um, it takes the sting out of my selfish need to be, you know, better than or worse than in the rest of the world. You know, it's the same thing. It's a two-sided coin. You know, I either want to be way above the rest of the world or I want to be the worst. But both cases, this disease trying to tell me to eat. It's the disease trying to tell me, get out of the rooms. You know, you're different. Get out. And um, so spiritual means to me it, it's become all-inclusive. You know, we have an all-inclusive God that's always available, unlimited source. And for me, um, the more I can be spiritual in the workplace, at home, church, wherever it happens to be. Because it's re- for me, personally, it's really easy to be spiritual in recovery. Real easy, you know. Um, but not so easy to be spiritual when I'm in line at United Airlines and my flight's delayed and, uh, you know, I'm trying to you know, push my way in to get on the plane or whatever. Um, so more and more, I, 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 I tend to see the rest of the world as spiritual, not just, you know, there's this external God out there. No, it's, just, it's, a part of, it's a part of everything and everybody. So that's my thought. And the next question is, how, prom- how promptly? Uh, that is, can't we wait till the end of the day? Um, regarding step 10. Um, and my thought on that is um, there are, there's no right way um, because there's, there's a million different situations that where we're looking at step 10. And I talked about kind of doing it, taking my own inventory as I go as part of one of my values of the program. Um, it doesn't mean that either I am ready to do it right or the person to whom I need to make amends is ready to stop everything on a dime when I'm damn ready to make my amends. It, it's about, for me, it's about if I don't recognize it in the moment, then I'll miss it. And I'm not going to. So what if I get to the end of the day and I don't do a complete enough inventory because I happen to have one of those days where I just kind of brush my teeth and flop in bed or worse, just flop in bed without brushing my teeth. I mean, I'm, I've done that. So, so the, the issue is if, I, if I'm not entirely aware as I'm going through, that interaction wasn't quite right or that thought process wasn't quite right. If I'm not aware of it in the moment, the probability that I will just let it slide and it becomes a habit if I just let things slide, then it's a bigger problem that I have to deal with. So for me, it's about recognizing it in the moment and, and taking the opportunity to make amends um, at the earliest opportunity. But it doesn't always mean that it's going to happen right then. And it can happen at the end of the day because, I mean, something happened at my office where I was not pleased with my own reaction um, with someone in a meeting and um, she left the meeting and went to a client meeting and I was gone while doing a client meeting and I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet. That was Friday morning. It is first on my list and I've emailed her and told her that I really want to have, find, make some time first thing Monday morning to visit with her about my reaction. But it, I didn't have to like stop the world on Friday to make it happen um, because it's not necessarily always about my convenience. But it is about my awareness. Because I, if I hadn't been aware, there would be times where I just would have missed the fact that that was something that I felt like I needed to clean up um, so that it didn't impair our relationship or who I perceived myself to be going forward. So the timing is as soon as reasonably possible. But my experience is that if I don't catch it in the moment, I won't always catch it later. And I don't want to miss that opportunity to make sure that I clean up everything that I need to. So that's my opinion. Okay, these two questions I think are I can answer. What is OA90? Um, this is a 90-day program. It's a special focus group of Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, I can talk to anybody after the meeting about that. Um, but it's part of OA, part of Overeaters Anonymous, and, and I'd be glad to talk to anybody that wants to know more after the meeting. And what is the coffee shop? Um, coffee shop is a phone meeting uh, where the big book is discussed uh, and read. The first 164 pages of the big book is discussed on a daily basis. Uh, people read a paragraph or two, and then they share on what was read. And it's every morning. And uh, it's also recorded, so you can get 24-7 access to meetings. So it's been a great excuse breaker for my sponsees, because when they say they can't get to three meetings a week, and I, uh, I <laughs> it's pretty easy to, to listen to a recorded meeting. So um, 
and and I have to do it for myself too, you know, because I have to break my excuses too. Because I've got, a, I'm a bit. Don't you know how busy I am? And don't you know I've got a busy life? Um, but I always got time for recovery. That's for sure. But I'd be glad to talk to anybody after the meeting about these specific questions too. I'll answer this one, and then probably Greg will want to too. Um, it's a nice short one. What is your favorite prayer? Um, my favorite prayer um, is the breathing prayer that I share with you. Breathing in love, faith, and peace. Breathing out anger, resentment, and control of others. Because it's easy for me, and because it, whatever I'm doing, it will stop me in my tracks and give me a connection with God. So that's my personal favorite Um, I, I love the third step prayer, and uh, my first sponsor uh, gave me a specific third step prayer that was very specific. But now I, I do the, uh, you know, I currently just do the third step prayer every day, and I always do it before I eat because I know I'm going to eat. So before I have breakfast in the morning, when I first, you know, upon awakening, I I do the third step prayer and get on my knees and say that and. Uh, you know, I sincerely need to pray for God's will to be done in my life, and that's all I, I try to pray for. Um, and um, it really helps me surrender, because there have been a lot of things that have happened that I, I, I wouldn't have chosen. But if I pray for God's will to be done in my life, it, it just helps me surrender. And uh, I, I need to surrender a lot of things, and the third shipper helps me do that. This one says, I'm wrapping up my ninth step, but still feel resistant to, the, to adopting the tenth step practice. Why? The every night requirement. Sometimes I barely have time to prep for the next day and get a decent night's sleep. How do I shift this resistance? That's a really good question. It's a really honest question. Um, we all live really busy lives. Um, and... Um, I think my answer on this one would be um, act as if, the, print, the, the practice of act as if. Um, if you don't feel willing to do it, um, just do a little bit. Um, because my experience is that it will change your life, that practice. And it doesn't have to be a big, hairy thing at the end of the day, like, you know, sit, right, you know, if you just, it's simply a discipline of thought process. Um, and if you have the time, you know, sitting and writing and really reflecting is certainly a better way to do it. But I think that, um, you know, I, I get tripped up with that, well, if I'm going to do step, step 10, I better do it perfectly, you know, and perfectly takes lots of time and organization and process. And yeah, that's, you can stop yourself all day. <laughs> Um, from moving forward by trying to kind of, you know, I mean, I always tell myself if I, if I was going on a trip from here to New York and I waited until all the lights turned green before I started, <laughs> it's not going to work. And that's kind of like, um, you know, the resistance that is easy to develop um, when it's like, oh, well, I can't do it perfectly or I don't have enough time to do it right. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is if you're, you can get efficient about it um, and be thinking about your 10-step while you're brushing your teeth, while you're, you're doing other things. It doesn't have to be this perfect thing. Um, and if, you know, so, so squeeze it into the other things that you do to make time, and then you'll find the value of it, and the time will be made easily. Um, so the time is one thing. And then the other thing is the kind of mental willingness. You know, as you say, how do you get rid of the resistance? Um, I think that, in my opinion, the resistance... Once you start to see the joy of it, the resistance will will um, um, fade away. Um, so I would encourage you just simply to start some discipline of doing it in some little way and then start to see the benefit. Um, and then that will help the resistance. It's a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing, but I'd encourage you just to um, squeeze it in somehow, even in a busy schedule. Hard 
Okay, this question is, how does uh, steps 10, 11, and 12 work together? They seem separate, but I know they work together. Um, well, somebody's given a lot of thought to this uh, question. <laughs> and, you know, I, I try not to analyze stuff too much. I just sort of do, I just try to do the actions. Because I, I can't give a really, you know, slick answer about well, how 10, 11, and 12 work together. But I know that um, I have to be honest and, and take an inventory. And, and if, I haven't, if I'm not doing that, I'm, my 12-step work isn't going to be as effective. And my prayer is not going to be as effective because, you know, there'll be something blocking me from the sunlight of the Spirit because of my actions. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly how they work together. I just know that I need to do them. And I know I need to take the action. And uh, if I do that action, good things will happen, and, and it'll make sense as time goes on. And that's kind of how the programs work for me. Next question is, how have you changed your spiritual practice over the years, and what was the basis or reasons for the change, um, and what, were the, what have the consequences been? Um, I would say my spiritual practice has changed in microscopic increments over the years. Um, I don't get the leaps and bounds thing. I would love the leaps and bounds thing, but generally my life is about um, celebrating the incremental changes. And so um, um, taking incremental changes, um, seeking incremental changes, and celebrating incremental changes would be kind of the path that I would say has happened for me over the last 20 years of, of being in this program. Um, you know, there's, the heavens don't open up and give me messages. It's about follow, doing the discipline and then finding the spirituality through the process of doing the discipline, doing the steps, using the tools, coming to meetings. It's in that process that spirituality unveils itself in my life in little bits. And... For me, um, gratefulness is a really important process of finding more spirituality. That if I don't stop and really revel and be grateful in the, in the spiritual um, place that I'm at and in the gift of additional spirituality that I feel like I've been able to gain over the years, then I'm really missing the boat. Um, and if I'm not really truly thankful for the spiritual connection that I have and the spiritual life that I have, then I don't think I'm going to get any more. So for me, gratefulness and really truly being thankful for the gifts that I have been given and for the recovery of this program and the, and the path that this program lays out for us as a spiritual path, um, gratefulness is the core of it and the desire for it so that I'm always seeking it. And lastly, just simply not expecting big, huge things, but really um, learning to enjoy the small incremental changes. Because um, as I look back over the last 20 years, you know, I, I'm a completely different spiritual being now than I was then. But there are no big um, moments, if you will. It's little moments. It's the discipline of coming to the meetings and doing the steps and, and listening and connecting with people. And through that process, more spirituality has been given to me and I believe will be given to all of us. That's a good question. How do you deal with the feelings when your partner objects to all this program stuff? <laughs> program is first, but we live, we live with our families. We love our families. I don't want to accept them, upset them either. Well, that's a good question for me to deal with because I'm dealing with all this program stuff all the time. And uh, what I've started doing is, is including my family more and more in the program events and, and bring them along. I, I told my wife for this weekend, I said, you know, Come along, come and you know, hang out because it's they're both my family. So I try to. My daughter's five months old. And she's been to five meetings already. So you know, I I was telling her the other day. I said, you know, if you want to find Daddy, you're going to have to go to a meeting to find him. If you if you're wondering where Daddy is, that's where you can. And you know, and it's true. And um, but that said, I try to make them both exclusive. You know, there's you know, I I'm not anonymous to my family. That's for sure. As far as uh, how I live my life. Recovery is part of my life. And my kids know I'm going to meetings and 
Uh, I bring them along sometimes if, if need be. So if there's an event or a program event or any kind of get-together, we, we try to bring the kids along and the family along. And uh, Sometimes it's not possible. But I think while I may not spend as much time with my family as, as I would like sometimes, if I'm present and I'm really there and really, uh, like you were saying so eloquently, if I'm committed to their space and their mindset instead of me trying to dominate, um, there's not so much resentment from the other side because I'm, I'm really present uh, for their agenda instead of my own. Um, but I guess that's what I would say about it. It's, a, it's balance is tough. Balance is tough. But I got to put program first. I got to put recovery first because I'm not going to be much of a dad without that, or a husband without that. Yeah, this is specific around maintenance steps. Uh, um, is there anybody in the room, or do do you or anybody in the room know of any maintenance meetings or maintenance literature and formats to start a maintenance meeting in our area? Um, I'll open it up to the room. Does anybody know of anything? Like, I, I don't specifically know of any you know maintenance related um, meetings, but. Okay, Kaiser Santa Clara, Sundays at noon. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. And uh, if you have any questions about that, talk with. Sorry. Go ahead. Please. I'm not certain that there is a specific format, but on the Region 2 website, that's where you would find formats for meetings. I found other meeting formats on the website. Okay. So go to the Region 2 website. That's another good place to find stuff on maintenance or specific formats. Okay. Great. That's, that's all the questions. Thanks. Um, just real quickly before we close, an unofficial announcement. At five o'clock, there's a men's meeting. It's an ad hoc men's meeting right here in this meeting, right here in this room. Okay. If I don't write things down, I don't say it right. But I subscribe to the ninth tradition. Now's the time that we're going to close. Let's thank our speakers again for doing their service. Yay! Please stand and join hands as we close with the OE promise. I put my hand in yours. Are we all joined up? Where do I put my hand? I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there central closeness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding.